We are starting a new series today. Today is actually the second week of Advent, but uh, we were too busy celebrating Thanksgiving and uh, sharing stories last week, so we'll jump in at week two if you all are okay with that. Um, but we are starting a new series for Advent leading up to Christmas. And just to orient ourselves uh, to Advent, if you're new to this concept, Advent is a season of longing and hope that leads up to Christmas. It is a time where we consider both why Jesus came to earth in the first place as well as why we so desperately long for His return, His coming. Advent stands as a yearly reminder to not uh, ignore or placate or turn away from the brokenness that we feel, but to look at it squarely in the face knowing that Jesus, our Redeemer, will come and all things will be made new. Amen? So until that day, though, we watch and we wait with all creation as it sings of the arrival of earth's true King. Over the next few weeks, what we're doing is, uh, as we draw nearer to Christmas is we are borrowing the lyric, Let Heaven and Nature Sing. What, uh, what famous hymn does that come from? Joy to the, yeah, yeah. The second one. <laughs> Although, I always get them all mixed up too. Uh, it does come from Isaac Watts' 1719 hymn, Joy to the World. So we're asking the question in this series, how does heaven and nature sing? How does creation sing? sing of the promise, and direct our attention to Jesus and the good news that He has come as our Emmanuel once and forever. And so today we're beginning this, uh, you know, three-part thing. We'll end on um, Christmas Eve. But we're not beginning with something that we can see, but something that we can hear as part of nature. Maybe more accurately to say something that we don't hear. We're going to talk today about the role that silence plays in stirring hope. The role of silence in hope. Luke 1, starting in verse 5. If you want to follow along, it'll be on the screen behind me. Luke 1, verse 5. In the time of King Herod, Herod king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in, God's, in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not. Be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer 
has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Notice he didn't call her old. Smart man. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. The good news, family, that we proclaim today is that God is not silent forever. And his silence is never a measure of his faithfulness or his love. Even when we can't hear him, God hears us. Even when we can't see him, God sees us. Even when we think we don't know him, God knows us. Christmas itself, friends, the greatest expression of God's nearness begins in the silence. Hope begins in the silence. So friends, be still today knowing that those who silently suffer never suffer alone. The Lord has come. Um, When I was a kid, which in my mind happened like six years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't say it was reality. It's just perception. It was more like 36 years ago, which scares the living daylights out of me. Um, Around this time, every year, living in New England, I anticipated not just the arrival of Christmas, but the arrival of snow. Yeah. Uh, It's this white stuff that used to fall from the sky prevalently this time of year. It doesn't do that as much anymore, at least not in New Jersey. Um... But I would wait and wait and wait for the the first snowfall. And when that first measurable snowfall did come, I would get all my snow gear on and I would try to get out the door before my dad realized I had gone and couldn't shovel the deck. And I would go out, um, lay down, look up at the sky, and take in the silence of it all. I thought that it was my imagination, that it was quieter after a big snowfall, but it turns out that this is actually a scientific fact. 
that the structure of a snowflake actually creates these small pockets that absorb sound waves. Did you know this? Like foam padding. It is quieter after it snows. It's not just your imagination. The more snow you have, the greater the effect. It insulates everything. So it seems and is actually quieter. But what happens um, after a few days when the snow has fallen? The crystals uh, start to melt and lose their sound insulating qualities. And as the cycle of melting and refreezing happens again and again and again, snow becomes ice. And what used to absorb sound now amplifies that sound, right? It gets louder. Creation, as it turns out, has this rhythm of silence and sound. Silence and sound. Silence and sound. And we see this rhythm actually in, reflected in God and his activity throughout his world in history as well. There are times when it seems like God has a lot to say. And his voice reverberates throughout history in his prophets and in his scriptures. And then there are times, like 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, when it says that the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Silence. Followed by sound. You know, the book of 1 Samuel, God's getting ready to do some stuff, to say some stuff. The same rhythm shows up between uh, the Old and the New Testaments as well. The last of Israel's prophets, Malachi, ends with a promise that God will again speak through a prophet like Elijah. But you know, if I say that this is the last of Israel's prophets, some time has passed, and it turns out that by the time Zechariah is serving in the temple of the Lord in Luke 1, that we've just read, 400 years have passed since that promise. 400 hard years have passed. Years full of suffering and loss and pervasive silence blanketing the nation like thick snow. Zechariah's own life is a testimony of this silence. His uh, his life has been full of aching, longing, hoping, groaning. He's old and childless when he goes into the presence of God at the temple. Elizabeth calls their barrenness, which even Luke seems to place at her feet. She calls it a disgrace that she's had to endure. I set the stage for this to say all this, that Zechariah's, uh, when he comes before the Lord in the temple, he's not just asking the question, when will Israel's prophet come? Because he's a little late. He and Elizabeth have been crying out themselves their entire lives for God to show up. His question is, God, do you hear our prayers at all? Will you speak? How long can we hold out hope that you will come 
and take away this disgrace which never seems to leave us. Can you relate to this? Can you relate? Can you relate to feeling like God is silent? Feeling like you're unable to hear His voice anymore? Feeling like He cannot or will not hear your voice? Feeling like maybe no one sees or understands what you are bearing? So what's the point of praying or asking or hoping? The good news that we proclaim today, family, is that God is not silent forever and His silence is never a measure of His faithfulness or love, even when we can't hear Him. God hears us, sees us, knows us. Christmas itself, the greatest expression of God's uh, withness, his Emmanuelness begins in the silence. Hope begins in the silence. And so, friends, you're free to be still today, knowing that those who silently suffer do not silently suffer alone. The Lord sees, He has come. Um, as a priest, Zechariah is interceding on behalf of Israel when he's in the temple. He's praying. And people are outside the temple praying for him as he prays for them. Suddenly, as he's praying, an angel of the Lord appears. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard, the angel says. So the question is, which prayer? <laughs> the nation's? His? Are we talking about a child? Are we talking about restoration? Are we talking about redemption from disgrace? Are we talking about renewal? Are we talking about a new beginning? Yes. <laughs> All of the above and more, your prayer has been heard. And God is interceding for all of it. He has taken it into Himself for the last 400 years and He is ready to act. The angel lays out a plan for how God is, is preparing himself to speak to the world. And here's the shocking twist for Zechariah. The son that Zechariah prayed for will be the prophet Malachi predicted. God's doing a new thing all over the place. This son, John, would set the stage for the coming of Jesus, who would be God's Word in the flesh. Everything that God wants to say to the world wrapped up in one person. That's Jesus. But notice that by the time the angel is finished, Zechariah is full of faith. Wait, no. He's full of disbelief. He says, how can I be sure of this? All of Zechariah's doubts come to the surface. And what does Zechariah receive for his moment of honesty? This is the part that gets us sometimes, I think. I heard somebody like wince when I got to this. When, it, when Gabriel says, I am Gabriel, in verse 19 and 20, I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. The result of Zechariah's unbelief is that he is unable to speak. He is silenced. 
Imagine what that must have been like for him. Unable to communicate, unable to be heard or understood, unable to convey the once-in-a-generation thing that he's seen and heard, unable to give the good news even to his wife that they will bear a child. Seems like a harsh punishment for a moment of indiscretion, doesn't it? I'm just being honest here. Why would God see fit to do this? Is Gabriel just like the hottest tempered angel that God happened to send? Is God offended? By Zechariah's unbelief? Does he expect perfection from us? Should we bite our tongue when we don't believe something? When we have doubts? Remember Gabriel's first words to Zechariah. Zechariah, who is a priest, declared by Luke, as righteous, who has faithfully served God his entire life, Gabriel says to him, do not be afraid. Your prayers have been answered. I think there's another way to look at this. Hannah Anderson puts it this way, and I love the way that she says this. The irony of Zechariah's losing his voice is that he had been using it to beg God to intervene. But somewhere along the way, he'd lost hope that God was hearing him. Zechariah was about to learn that our inability to hear God's word is no measure of his ability to hear ours. Even when he's silent, he hears. God takes Zechariah's voice as if to say, I will be faithful to you with or without your prayers. You just stand there and watch. God wasn't punishing Zechariah for his indiscretion He was inviting him to experience God's faithfulness and strength in a way that's only possible in weakness and silence. You've done enough, Zechariah. You've prayed long enough. You've spent enough evenings crying out to me. You don't need to use your voice anymore. There comes a moment when you get to be silent my son, and watch what I'm about to do. I'm a God who hears, and I'll do the speaking now. (laughs) The good news that we proclaim today is that God is not silent forever, and his silence is never a measure of his faithfulness or love. Even when we can't hear him, God hears us, sees us, knows us. Christmas begins in the silence. Hope begins in the silence. And so, friends, be still, knowing that those who silently suffer do not silently suffer alone. The Lord is here. He's come. I should say this before we respond, that the invitation to be silent does not mean that we should not pray, cry out, groan, or ache to be heard. Uh, Lament is one of the ways that God invites us to know that he is near to us. And to be heard itself is a fundamental need of every single human being. 
It simply means that when we've expressed what's deep in our hearts to God, that we can rest like Zechariah. Jesus himself puts it this way in Matthew 6, verse 7 and 8. He says, when you pray, don't pour out a flood of empty words as the Gentiles do. They think that by saying many words, they'll be heard. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask. So ask, but then know that you've been heard. Sound followed by silence. Lament, groan, weep, seek, ask, knock, then be still and know that you are known. This is the pattern that we see. This is what Advent invites us to. So, uh, if you're new with our community, we often um, share a piece of good news followed by a way to respond to that good news. I trust that you guys will know how to apply this to your lives like maybe by Wednesday, uh, but we'd like to get you engaged and involved with uh, the good news that you've heard, to begin to believe it with your bodies so that you can appropriate it right here and now because this is where God is ready to meet you. The Holy Spirit is real and is here among us. So we do that by beginning to respond, and I, I tend to cue us as a way to, to start to do that. Um, so when it comes to silence, this is a question to ask yourself in God's presence. How am I being invited into silence so that I have the opportunity to listen and watch for the presence of God? How am I today, here, now, in my little red seat, being invited into silence so that I can watch and listen for the presence of God? We need this opportunity, I think, now more than ever because our lives are full of noise. Full of noise. It's almost like we're allergic to silence. <laughs> And I think part of the reason is because silence is where we meet what's most uncomfortable to look at. This is where we come face to face with our disgraces. Like Elizabeth. And so maybe, uh, maybe you feel like a disgrace. Maybe you resonate with Elizabeth's words that um, you got some stuff in your closet and you're not sure that you can bear looking at it with God's presence. But maybe you just feel uh, misunderstood and unheard by the people around you. Maybe you're sick and tired of not feeling heard by your family or your kids. Maybe you feel like nobody understands what you're going through and so you feel isolated because it seems like you're bearing it all alone. You wonder, does anyone see me? Does anyone hear me? Maybe you're going through a period where it seems as though God himself is silent or absent. We're going to pray in a second, and this is what we're going to pray. We're going to pray God, the, to the God who is present, God, I feel unheard or unseen in my 
blank. What area is it for you? And then we're going to pray. Help me to know that you are present, that you see, that you will speak, that you will fill me with the hope that only the Holy Spirit can bring. This is the promise. That the one who heard and answered Zechariah is the same one who hears us right now. The one who sends snow to quiet the world is the same one who quiets our hearts even when we can't hear him. The one who restores our hope is the same one who will open our lips to declare his praise when the words finally come to us. Christmas, the word of God made flesh, begins with the silence of God, but it is a silence that invites us to hope in the faithfulness that God will speak. So let's let him do that. Amen? Let's pray.